This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Hopefully you had a nice Easter weekend for those of us that were celebrating. I know uh, those of you that are Orthodox Christians, you guys are celebrating next weekend. And for those of you who are Jewish, we are smack dab right in the middle of Passover. We'll, uh, we'll discuss a wide variety of holidays, current and upcoming, uh, throughout the next hour, throughout the next few minutes. Now, anywhere you look in the news, you just shake your head. You look overseas... You see, you know, a, a, a nuclear uh, a nuclear warship that might blow up as uh, people are fighting for their lives and fighting for their homes. You look up at Albany, you see corrupt politicians being arrested. You look in Washington, you see nothing but negative mudslinging one side against the other. You look around uh, what's happening in New York here, you see mass shootings on trains. I mean, if there has ever been a moment where it's important to take stock of the things that give us joy, the things that bring us happiness, and to find laughter through times when it can be difficult to find laughter. I don't know what it is. And uh, one of my favorite people, one of my favorite happiness experts, happens to be my friend Jeffrey Gurian, comedy writer, stand-up comic, host, author, producer, director, and, of course, former dentist and man with the best hair in all of comedy, <laughs> Jeffrey. How are you? Thanks for coming in. I am great. Thanks so much for having me, Frank. And I want to start off by wishing everybody a happy Easter and a happy Passover. It's so wonderful that we all get to celebrate together. At this time of the year. Absolutely. Now, last time you were here, you were wearing, I think, a dog collar. Uh, today, you're wearing sort of a, a Hawaiian shirt, right. which I like. I'm, I'm digging this look. I want to bring spring on, you know? Exactly. Part of what I teach people in happiness is that clothing also brings happiness. And mm. you should not only wear clothing that makes you happy, but it should make the people who see you feel happy as well. I think that's and a very, uh, very important philosophy. I think that's good. It's part of creating your own happiness center. It's one of the things that I teach when I lecture on happiness is to create a happiness center. Because as soon as you leave the house, you have no control over what happens to you, over what the universe puts in your path. The only place you can hope to control your environment is where you live. So it's important that you surround yourself with things that make you smile, whether it's colors. Like if you came to my house, it's filled with balloons. And crayons. You never see balloons at a funeral. People, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> never. You never see balloons at a funeral. Balloons are a symbol of happiness. So I have little toys and things and bright colors. Everything's white. My carpeting's white. My piano's white. And people who come in, they say they can feel 
an air of happiness, and, and that's what I want. And, and by the way, lest anyone think your life is always a bed of roses, we've talked before, you recently survived double COVID pneumonia. Yeah. Very serious. You were hospitalized. You had a very, very serious health scare. Lucky to be alive, quite frankly. Absolutely. And uh, you don't seem any worse for wear. <laughs> I'm grateful every day, that's, Frank. That's so you know, important. And I think positive thinking had a lot to do with me getting through. Kindness is also very important. I got a lot of support from people, from friends, and a lot from strangers. You know, um, the comedy community is very strong. Mm. And I used to be a regular on Sirius XM, and they announced that I was in the hospital. And I literally started getting hundreds of messages from people. And I'm a big believer in the power of prayer and the power of thought. And when so many people are focusing their energy on one thing, I really believe that it has an effect. And I was too sick to answer any of these messages. But just knowing that people were thinking of me really helped me a lot. And afterwards, I said, you know, it's a shame that we have to be so sick to know that people care it's about true. us. That's true. You know? That's because true. on a daily basis, we tend not to tell people what they mean to us. You know, Norman D Vincent Peale's whole philosophy was all about the power of positive thinking. And I think studies have borne that out, that there actually is a real-world physical impact to positive thinking, both the person that's, you know, experiencing the pain and sort of absorbing the positive energy from people around them. So uh, I think that's so important. There was a very famous scientist that I got the pleasure of working with, and I am blanking on her name, but I remember the book that she wrote. It was called Molecules of Emotion. Mm. She was one of the only women to get her own laboratory in Washington, D.C., and I worked on her for headaches that she was having, and she proved that every thought that you have creates chemicals in your body. And so it's real. You know, when they say laughter is the best medicine, mm. when, when you're happy, you're creating endorphins. The Give me that, that book again. That sounds interesting. Molecules Maybe. of Emotion. That, that, that actually, I'm going to try and pick that. And one, I wish I could out. remember her name. Uh, well, I'll, I'll probably, look it up. I'll, yeah, I'll mention okay. it a little bit later. Thank you. But, but it's a very powerful thing. When I was laying in the hospital, first with the heart attack, I had like six years mm -hmm. ago, I was joking with the, with the surgeon on the operating table. They were unplugging the artery in my heart. It was... It was they called it a widowmaker heart attack, which is obviously very serious. It's the major artery to the left side of the heart, the LAD artery. And they were unplugging it, and I wasn't fully asleep. They keep you kind of in a twilight sleep. And I felt it. I felt what they were doing. And I said to the guy, I feel you in my heart, not in a romantic way, but <laughs> I, I feel you in my heart. And the whole crew started to laugh, you know, during this uh, surgical procedure. And later in the day, and then he said, I'll give you more anesthetic. Later in the day, he came to my room and he hugged me and he said, I want you to know you're a miracle. And I was like, no, you're the miracle. You're the guy who figured out how to save me. But again, I had to fight to stay in a positive state because I've been aware for a long time that when you're, when you're in a negative state, your immune system doesn't function as uh, well. Uh, that is for sure. That you know, is for sure. If you walk into a room, a crowded room, and somebody is sad or angry, you can feel it. No, no doubt about and it. And if somebody is no happy, you can also it. feel that. We're very sensitive, but we don't realize it. We don't acknowledge it. Animals do that right away. Mm. Animals, you know, dogs and cats. If a dog or a cat likes a person, that's usually a good person. And if a dog or a cat doesn't like a person, if they, you know, if you bring someone into your home and you have a pet and that pet 
is aggressive and doesn't like that person, they're probably sensing something well, that's real. The exception is our cat, Melchizedek. He doesn't like anybody <laughs> except my wife and me. So that's not a good barometer of uh, someone's character. Melchizedek, that's a very powerful name. Where'd you come up with I, that? I didn't. He was named when I uh, when I met my wife. I had nothing to do with the naming of this cat. He's it's uh, All the cats have, well, at least two-thirds of the cats have biblical names. That it, is a magical name. It, Jeffrey Gurian is here. Uh, now, Jeffrey, you're Jewish, right? I and so do you do anything for Passover or have you done anything for Passover this yeah, year? Yeah, last night I had a great Seder at my ex-wife's house, which used to be my house, by the way. Oh, you boy. know, in the Jewish religion, they say... Do they have a plaque? Uh, this was once <laughs> Jeffrey Gurian's house out there? In the, the Jewish religion, they say, don't bother getting married. Just find a woman you like and buy her a house. That's the thing, you know? Yeah, it was a great house. I think that's and, in the Torah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's in the Torah, exactly. Th- those... You never see anybody on the subway reading a Torah, by the way. You this know, with true. the big scrolls. This is true. And you yeah. have to ask the guy next to you, could you point to this while you're scrolling? It would be very hard to read on the subway. But with with my ex-wife and her husband and their new children and my children, I have a very big extended family due to the principles that I try and live by. There are certain spiritual principles that are very important. So th- this probably shouldn't surprise me, but it, it sounds like you have a very good relationship with your ex-wife. I do, and I think it's very important. She's the mother of my that's, children. That's pretty rare, isn't it? I mean, I think cordial so. is one thing. Friendly, spending holidays together, I think that's another. We do that every year. And that's we great. have for many, many years. Um, not everybody is meant to be in your life forever. And a lot of times you don't see that. It's only in retrospect. Mm. When we split up, she remarried and she adopted two children and she had one of her own. And what I can see in, you know, in the rearview mirror is that those two little children needed to be adopted and that little girl she had needed to be born. And that couldn't have happened had I still been there. Now, so pass- when you look back at your life, sometimes it makes sense. Oh, no, that, that's, uh, that's for sure. That's great. And you get along with her current husband. Yeah, I actually – you know what? He owns a big gas station and – I bring my car to him to be fixed. And to show you how much I trust the guy, I even let him do my brakes, Frank, <laughs> <laughs> which is a big its a big trust thing to let a guy do your brakes. Yeah. Uh, I know a fella that, uh, that actually his current wife goes to his ex-wife to get her hair done, uh, which is, I think, equally impressive. Yeah, it is. Now, Passover, as far as Jewish holidays goes – that's not one of the more uh, somber, sad holidays. That's a little bit more of an upbeat holiday, right? Or is it somewhere it is, in between? It is, and it's, it has such an interesting story to it. You know, Moses led the Jewish people out of the desert because the Pharaoh, he, well, he didn't want to let them go. The Jewish people were in slavery. And Moses actually was, he was the baby that was put in a basket mm. and sent down the Nile River And he was adopted by the Pharaoh's daughter, not knowing that he was a Jewish baby. And he grew up not knowing that he was Jewish. And when he finally found out, he led the Jewish people out of Egypt into the desert. There was no GPS in those days. So unfortunately, if he had had a better sense of direction, they say we would have had all the oil. But he didn't know which way to go. And, And so it took 40 years. And what's interesting is that the number 40 recurs in both the New Testament and the Old Testament over and over again. Lent is 40 40 days, days, right? right? And 40 nights, right? Moses was on Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. Mm. Noah's Ark reigned for 40 days and 40 nights. That number seems to be magical, and it's mentioned 146 times in the Bible. 
Um, I didn't know that. That's wild. Yeah. I- I've been to quite a few Passover seders, none this year, but I like a lot of the Passover cuisine. You know, I like the gefilte fish, and I know a lot of Jewish folks don't like gefilte fish. I I like it. I like the matzahs with well. horseradish. N- naturally, you gotta no, have so you like horseradish. you like gefilte fish. I do, but I've never seen one. No one knows where they come from. You can't catch a gefilte fish. No, no one, no one has actually ever found. Like you never go in and see an aquarium and it's, it's filled with gefilte fish. Yeah, it's like I, I don't you got to be visiting more Jewish aquariums. I That's think the thing. I think that must be it. Maybe in Israel they have a gefilte fish <laughs> exhibit someplace, but not any place that I've been. But what's interesting is so God supposedly put ten plagues on Egypt to let the people go. You're not going to tell and, me gefilte fish was one of the ten no, plagues. No, no, it no. was like rivers of blood and boils and, and and locusts and the last one. See, the Pharaoh had decreed that the firstborn Jewish children, male children, should be killed, and that's how Moses had escaped. His mother put him in a basket and mm. sent him down the Nile. That's so, how Matt Blaze, our engineer, escaped was, yeah. <laughs> in a small basket down a river, right? Which is a rough way to grow up. But it's so interesting. So so the tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. And they told the Jewish people to mark your door with lamb's blood. Mm-hmm. So part of the Passover Seder is what they call a Paschal lamb. There's a, a, a shank bone, a lamb bone that signifies the lamb that was sacrificed. And so the Jewish people would put uh, a mark of lamb's blood on their door to show that they were Jewish. So the angel of death would pass over them. Right. And um, these days, that's what a mezuzah is. Oh, I see. That's why Jewish people have a mezuzah on their door, because you can't get lamb's blood anymore. Uh, <laughs> We're not sacrificing lambs anymore. And when I grew up, I didn't know that. I thought it was because Jewish people are very polite. <laughs> Just in case a pogrom breaks out in the middle of the night, we didn't want you disturbing our Gentile neighbors. <laughs> so we so we mark our doors so you know where the Jewish people live. If you had to pick a favorite Passover delicacy, though, what would it be? It doesn't sound like it is gefilte fish. No, there's a special thing. Uh, oh, it's very sweet, and it's a mixture of – I'm blanking on the name. It's, it's a, a pastry or it's uh, it's something else? You put it on a little piece of matzo during – like uh, – during the Seder, and this year we did a very different kind of Seder, and I must say my ex-wife had a wonderful idea. She said rather than do the traditional Seder this year, we, we each wrote up memories of the people who passed on who weren't with us oh, to celebrate nice. this that's year. Nice. And she put it into a book. There must have been about 20 of us there, and everybody got a book of memories, and we read them out loud. That's nice. You and know, it's it a very su- special It thing. doesn't surprise me that, uh, that you have such a great attitude in life and you have a great relationship with your ex-wife. You know who does also a very good attitude, a very good relationship with his ex-wife? I think maybe both of his ex-wives. Uncle Floyd, who's a regular listener oh, really? to this oh, yeah. show and who calls into this show. I think he and his ex-wife both listen to this show. He I, I similarly impressed me with that, uh, uh, with that whole thing. I'll tell you why it's important. Too many people hate each other when they break up. And if you have children, especially, if you don't have children, you never have to see each other again. Right. But if you share children and you love your children, they wouldn't be those children if it wasn't for that other person's DNA. Mm. It had to be that person in order for you to have the children that you have. And to me, my children are so special that I honor her as the mother of my children. 
So I never said a bad word about no. her, and she never said a bad word about That's me. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. All right, somebody that was also a uh, a terrific husband by by the looks of it, and based on everything that I've heard, and a very devoted father, somebody that became a father later in life, is somebody that you don't immediately think of when it comes to fatherhood. It was. Oh, 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 come right in. Don't let the fact that my door's closed dissuade you in any way from entering my office. Sir, we're at the Beverly Hills Police Department. Are you Mr. Sidney Bernstein? Yes, lucky guess. Well, sir, you have 25 unpaid parking tickets. We have a warrant for your arrest. What? 25? What 25? You what? have 25 unpaid parking tickets, sir? I, I, I pay my tickets. I pay I pay all my tickets. Sir, do you own a black Mercedes-Benz license plate number CRL 507? 507? That's my wife's car. That's not my car. That's my... 25 unpaid yeah, parking I mean, tickets. It's under my name, but it's my wife's car. No, no, no. The great Gilbert Gottfried uh, passed away last week. We talked about him a great deal at the time, but uh, every the whole world, not just the comedy world, is still collectively mourning. I know you knew Gilbert a long time. We talked about Gilbert uh, the last time that you were here. Who knew it was going to be the last appearance that you were going to do while he was alive with me? And um, you, you and Gilbert went back how long? More than four decades. Really? Yeah. Do you remember how you first got to know one another? I was enthralled by Gilbert when I moved to, well, in 1980, I was writing for Rodney Dangerfield, and I think that's about the time that I met him. And when I moved to the city, I was living on 76th and 1st, and Catch was 77th and 1st. Catch a Rising Star. Catch a Rising Star. And Gilbert was a regular at Catch a Rising Star. And in one of the pictures that I sent you that they posted on page six, it has him with a full head of curly hair and me with my 80s porno mustache. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, those were the early days that I met him. I used to drive him around. Um, I used to drive him home to make sure he got home safely. When you <laughs> saw his act back then, yeah. uh, was he someone that you knew was destined for uh, big-time stardom, or was he as funny as 10 other comics that were there? No, he was always different, star. and for some reason, unique always interested me. You know, I started covering the comedy scene as a comedy journalist about – Oh, and around 1999, but in the early days, I had an eye for talent, I guess. I saw Jerry Seinfeld before he was famous and Paul Reiser when they just started out. And I went up to them to introduce myself and tell them how funny I thought they were. And I actually offered to introduce them to a guy who was managing me at the time. Uh, Gilbert was so unique. There's never been anyone like him. There never will be. He always worked with his eyes closed. I think that gave him courage to mm. say things that he that you know because he always said such outrageous things. Right. But he would say things. That, I mean, I never laughed so hard. He would say stuff like you know an alien spaceship landed and I went over to see it and little green men got out and one of them said to me, you know Ben Gazzara is a good actor. Why doesn't he get better parts? <laughs> and I was like, where did that come from? That's like he had the most obscure references. That was unbelievable. He would come out on stage with a, a paper napkin. And, First, you know, he'd walk out on stage with his eyes closed and his hands out like this, like, and very awkward. He would, like, fumble with the mic. And for some reason, that made sense to me. I don't know why, but I, I really understood him. And he would take a paper napkin and he would tear it into strips, like tentacles. 
and he would blow through it. And he'd like, look, a squid, a squid. <laughs> and then he would do 10 minutes of squid jokes. And then he'd be like, no one has more squid material than I do. As if other comedians actually told squid, <laughs> squid jokes. You know, you know it's funny. Um, he was on Saturday Night Live briefly with my friend, with our friend Joe Piscopo, uh, who people can hear every, every Sunday I night on the Sundays Joe. with Sinatra show. Yeah. I have nobody better than Joe Piscopo. And it's interesting. He didn't really seem to take off when he was a cast member of Saturday Night Live. What do you think it was about his appeal that uh, wasn't necessarily an instant sensation when TV viewers saw it? But uh, clearly he developed enough fans through not only stand up, but movies and podcasts and uh, being the Aflac duck and a whole bunch of other things that he was able to, you know, to really do well. One of the best known comics of, of this generation. Yeah. He was an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. I think in those days he was so new that he hadn't really come into the Gilbert that he became. And from what I understand on SNL, it's up to the writers how many sketches they put you in. If they get you as a character, they write you into a lot more sketches. I see. And I think that maybe, so maybe the writers they weren't didn't writing him. him because he was hard to get because he was so different and so unique. You know, there's nobody ever like that. He wasn't copying... Most comics talk about a lot of the same things, you know? They just get up and they do – maybe it's funny stuff. Right. All, could but, be observational humor. Could be insults. Could be whatever. But. Yeah, but it, you know, but they're regular topics. Mm-hmm. Gilbert would come up with squid material. Mm-hmm. Who's doing squid material? You know what I mean? And, and his stuff was just so unique and so different. His thoughts, you know, he was a comedic genius. And, uh, no doubt about and it. And he had the nerve to do it. You know, a lot of his stuff was so outrageous. I was at the Friars roast when Shecky Green quit the Friars. He was so offended. You know, it's funny. Bruce Charrett was here the other day oh, and yeah? told, had mentioned that same story. And you know what? I can't remember the joke. I was there. I had interviewed them both, you know, that night. It was uh, an event honoring somebody and uh, and – Gilbert did this joke, and Shecky got so upset that he tore up his membership. Wow. And he stormed out. And so I interviewed him afterwards. I actually brought him on the radio to talk about it, and I can't remember the joke. And it doesn't appear online. I, I tried I to noticed, look it up. I tried to look it up, I too. I tried to look it up, too. And uh, Bruce said he couldn't tell it to me on the air, so I'm going to have to get him next time, uh, next time I see him It could have been person. the aristocrats. His version of the aristocrats, because very often if he told a joke and it didn't work, he'd go into the aristocrats, <laughs> which is so horrible. He said things that I couldn't say if I was home alone. I couldn't say it to myself. That's how embarrassing That's very it funny. Uh, we're talking with Jeffrey Gurry, and uh, you could uh, check out his website at ComedyMatters.tv. That's uh, ComedyMatters.tv. ComedyMatters.tv.com. Oh, excuse me. ComedyMatters.tv.com. I appreciate yeah, that, that's okay. Um, if you want to call in, if you have a question about anything we're chatting about, you can reach us at 800-848-WABC. Now, all over the world, they have picked up on this story in the New York Post this weekend involving you and Gilbert Gottfried. If people haven't seen this story yet, I'm going to ask you to share it with uh, w- with the audience. Tell us what happened when you took Gilbert to one of the trendiest restaurants here in New York. Well, it wasn't my choice. I, I was doing a book called Make Them Laugh, and it was on the history of the legendary comedy club, The Comic Strip, that was owned by a man named Richie Tinkin, who left us just a year ago in March. And Richie was responsible for the careers of Eddie Murphy. He discovered Chris Rock. Chris wrote the intro to this book, as mm. a matter of fact. And uh, it the club opened in 1976. Jerry Seinfeld spent the first four years of his career there, from 76 to 80, until he went to L.A. Ray Romano made his career on that stage. Uh, 
Billy Crystal was the first comedian on opening night. George Wallace, Jim Gaffigan, Lisa Lampanelli, Susie Essman. So I interviewed them all for the book. They all came and they sat with me, except Billy Crystal. I went to L.A. to his office in Beverly Hills. Uh, the only one that asked to be taken out to lunch was Gilbert. And so he, <laughs> he had a reputation for being very frugal. I like to use the word frugal. They called him cheap. But, you know, Susie Essman once told me that she used to ask him if he'd share a cab with her to go from show to show. And he said he'd rather wait for the bus. <laughs> his, his idea of a, a big date was buying a girl a second drink. That was, the, that was the joke at the time. So everyone knew about Gilbert's frugality. So he insisted that we take him out to lunch. So I, I, I called his wife, Dara, to make sure that he would be there on time because with Gilbert, you never knew. And she she was very responsible, and she made sure that he would be uh, ready on time. So Richie and I pick him up, and where does he choose? Pastis, which at the time was the most expensive, right, the right. trendiest club uh, restaurant on 14th Street. We take him there. The place is packed. It's so noisy. How are you going to do an interview in a noisy restaurant, mm -hmm. right? The three of us are sitting there, and Gilbert starts ordering food <laughs> off the menu. He's ordering every expense. I think I ordered a burger. He's ordering everything off the menu. He's even asking for things they don't have. And they're like, we're sorry. We don't have that. And, and, and Richie's choking because he's paying for everything. Right. He paid for parking. He's paying for the food. And Gilbert just keeps finally dessert. Uh, you know, comes and, and I'm like, I have to do the interview because you can't interview people while they're eating. He insists he's never been at the club. <laughs> After all that, he says, I was never there. He said, I, I stood in front of the location for years waiting for it to be built, but it never came. He goes, and then I heard it was built. He said, and I heard it had the best electricity of any comedy club in the city, and it had one comfortable chair, and the comedians would take turns sitting in that chair. And he started coming up with this absurd stuff, right? And Richie, I thought he was going to have a heart attack because, like, you know, how am I going to use this in the book on the history of the comic strip? The guy says he was never there. Finally, I get him. You know, he couldn't answer a simple question. Every question he answered with a joke. And for me, it was comedy gold because my dream since I met him was always to riff back and forth with Gilbert Gottfried. You know, like I did a, a video um, with him asking him if he was in a, a – a dance routine. You know, in 2015 at the Just for Laughs Festival, they did a false funeral for him. They thought it was funny to choose a comedian to be waked. And of all people, they chose Gilbert. And so I went to his funeral, his false funeral, and I interviewed him at the time. And he made a big joke that he had to be embalmed. They had to take out all his insides and fill him with sawdust. And, you know, it was... By the way, if people uh, want to check yeah, out yeah. that book that uh, – Oh, it's called Make Them Laugh. Make Them Laugh. And then there's an updated version called Laughing Legends. It was published by Skyhorse and it's available on Amazon. Do you, uh, we have it's got all these of, uh, crazy stories. Skyhorse in here recently. Tony oh, really? Lyons, a great great guy. I like Tony a lot. You have everybody in well, here. We everybody try. comes we try. on your show. Um, it's, uh, not everybody's as willing to uh, stay up late as, as you and Tony are. We're going to continue with Jeffrey yeah. Gurian. Um, oh, uh, let me see that photo real quick. This is it's you and Gilbert, Gilbert Gottfried. Back in 1992. Now, describe these glasses that he's wearing. Well, I was commissioned to do a series of futuristic comedy films for Playboy TV. And they had to be funny and they had to be sexy. And so I called friends of mine. I called uh, Richard Belzer. I called Gilbert. 
Phoebe Leger, and I called Phil Hartman, whose wife wouldn't let him do it because we had to film it in a strip club. There, the strip club was not open at the time, but just knowing oh, that it was my. a strip club, she wouldn't let him come. But Gilbert came, and he had to wear these crazy glasses. They're kind of like the glasses that uh, years ago, if you went to an eye doctor and they were checking your eyesight, they would put these kind of glasses on you. They were they look like microscopes, and you 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 in order to see, you had to focus them. And he was going up trying to meet girls by asking them the worst question, would you like to see some pictures of my furniture? <laughs> and then he, he would take out his wallet and show them pictures of his desk and his couch. <laughs> and like, so obviously no girls were really interested, but his friend told him that it was because of his glasses and that he should go get new glasses. So I took my dental office and I turned it into an eye doctor's office. I put you know, eye uh, charts up there and all, and the nurse was played by – a girl named Camille Donatacci, who later on married Kelsey Grammer and ah, became yes, Camille, Camille Grammer, Grammer who's one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. But in those days, she was a young aspiring actress, and she played the sexy nurse. And Gilbert, so he pays extra for x-ray vision, thinking that he was going <laughs> to see through girls' clothing, right? And this this little prop, I don't know where to hold it so you can see it, but this little prop was the exact prop that Gilbert had. It looks like it's a black device about the size of a beeper with a red with button a red and button. an antenna. The doctor said to him, when you want the x-ray vision, press this red button. So he pressed the red button looking at the nurse, and he gets real x-ray vision. He sees her skeleton, <laughs> and he goes crazy in the chair. He's like spasming out that he can't – he was taken advantage of. And the film is called Seeing is Believing – and if you want to see it, it's on my Comedy Matters TV oh, terrific. YouTube channel. It's on YouTube. You go to youtube.com slash Comedy Matters TV. That's cool. 500 interviews with everybody from Jimmy Fallon on down. But there's several with Gilbert. That's fine. So if you want to see them, That's they're fine. there. Uh, we're going to continue with Jeffrey Gurian in a minute. 800-848-WABC if you want to comment on anything we're chatting about. Uh, 800-848-9222. Jeffrey writes books faster than I can read them. We're going to talk about <laughs> one of his more recent books in just a minute. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. WABC. Hey, folks, it's early April. Summer's right around the corner. Time to lose that winter weight and be fit and healthy by the summer with MJ Diet. This is my good buddy, Dr. Arthur Turovitz. It only takes 40 days to lose 20 to 40-plus pounds. The contractually guaranteed money-back program is unlike any diet plan you've ever heard of before. Trust me. It starts with bioenergetically personalized supplements based on your hair, saliva, and blood work. Then, MJ Diet uses DNA testing to create your ideal diet plan and workout regimen, help you keep the weight off for the rest of your life. MJ Diet is all natural, no shots, no hormones. Hormones, no surgery, and no dreaded prepackaged foods. You're fully monitored to make sure you are burning fat and not just losing water. And you'll also get the doctor's personal email and phone number. They've got locations throughout the tri-state area or from home with live online video consultations. Lose a contractually guaranteed 20 to 40 plus pounds in only 40 days. It's the best plan out there, trust me. Call today, 855-5NJ-DIET or log on to NJDiet.com. Go to NJDiet.com and lose the weight for good today. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Frank Marano, 77 WABC.
This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Jeffrey Gurian is here. He's in the midst of celebrating uh, Passover. We're in the midst of celebrating Easter. And a bunch of people have emailed me. You can email me as well, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Uh, and uh, several people have direct messaged me on Twitter as well. You can find me on Twitter at Frank, M-O-R-A-N-O. That the dish that Jeffrey was trying to think of earlier, that Passover delicacy, was Haroset. Well, either Herosis, you could pronounce it, or Haroset. For some reason, in Hebrew, some words, I, as I was growing up, they taught me a lot of words that ended with an S sound, but for some reason, now they end in a T sound. It's the same thing, Herosis or Haroset. Did you convert uh, to Judaism just for the jokes? I mean, there are a lot of funny pronunciations. <laughs> there was a time all comedians were Jewish. Uh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then even if you weren't Jewish, you felt like you were Jewish if you were doing comedy. You know, the old greats, most of them were Jewish. Milton Berle who was my sponsor in the Friars Club. That's right. I, I date myself when I say that, but I love having Milton Berle be my sponsor was one of the greatest honors. Mr. Television. You know, he was Uncle the reason. Milty. Yeah, he was the reason that the reason they called him that was because people in this country actually bought televisions to watch his show, the wow. Texaco Star Theater. In the 1940s, TVs were new. People would line up in the street to watch television through the glass windows of the stores that sold them. And they would pile the TVs on top of each other, and they'd play Milton's show, and people would gather to watch. People are actually getting – they're throwing away their radios because of me. Uh, so I'm the opposite of <laughs> Milton Berle. Exactly. Uh, but speaking of the holidays, you have a, a book out. It's called Holiday Hilarity, a humorous – History of Celebration. Yes. Tell me about this book. You've written it. Uh, you have a co-author on this I book. I do. Right? And there's a very interesting part about Czech Easter that I want to tell you because oh, you won't believe that this exists. But I, I had it confirmed. Uh, it was presented to me to do a book about holidays because holidays are very special, uh, especially in times of sadness and Absolutely. stress that we're going through now. Holidays bring people together. And when you write about religious holidays, though, you have to be very careful. It's a humorous book about the holidays, but you always have to be careful that people don't think you're making fun of their holidays, that you're just adding a little humor to them, right? Like, uh, um, so... Well, you mentioned Czech Easter. Tell me about Czech Easter. Yeah, Czech Easter is unbelievable. In Czech Easter, they have days like, it starts on a Wednesday, which they call Ugly Wednesday, <laughs> which was dedicated to Judas, and then they have um, – let, let me see. I have to refer to my notes because I don't remember okay. all yeah. of the story. But um, where did I write it down? Oh, 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 here it is. Green Thursday, where they eat only green vegetables to honor the Last Supper, which very often people say was actually a Passover Seder. Jesus was I, Jewish. I've always heard that. No, yeah. And it's so amazing what Jesus created. I mean – a religion that millions and millions of people follow. I hope he knows that somewhere, wherever he is, that he realizes the impact that he had. That's not a joke. Either. No, I know. I mean, I, I, absolutely. I it's amazing that one man could start a worldwide religion that so many people will be part of. One one man did that. That's just incredible. No, no doubt about it. I mean, and you talk, his bar mitzvah must have been quite a party. Can you imagine? I'm sure they never ran out of wine. <laughs> um, well, he turned water into wine. And, you know, teenagers would love that. They say, Ma, we're not exactly. going to drink. We're just having water. Exactly. Jesus is coming. <laughs> not tonight. He's not. Don't let him in here. Right? Turning water into wine and loaves of bread. Right? He fed thousands of people with five loaves of bread, I think, and two fish. Right. 
the portions must have been very small, though. Can you imagine? <laughs> they never tell you how big those portions were. So um, let me see. Oh, so then they have a White Saturday. Men and boys go from house to house with an instrument that makes an annoying noise, waiting for them to tell – for the people in the house to tell them to stop. They give them money and to make them true? stop. This, this is, is true. true. Wow. So on Easter Sunday – the girls color eggs. Wait till you hear this. The men and the boys make whips out of pussy willow branches to whip the women and the girls. This is true. This is in the Czech Republic? Yeah. Last week, I went to a wedding, and the guy sitting next to me was from the Czech Republic. Oh and boy. I said to him, is this true? He, go- he laughed because it's absolutely true. On Easter Monday is what they call, instead of Easter Sunday, they have Easter Monday. So it would be today, basically. The men and the boys go from house to house whipping the girls and the women with these pussy willow branches in exchange for candy and plum brandy. And the men get so drunk that the, the wives have to look for their husbands and they find them laying in the road. Oh, my. And my co-author was from the Czech Republic and she's the one that told me these stories. But I didn't get confirmation until I was sitting at that wedding last week and the guy next to me happened to be from there and confirmed it. Isn't that amazing? What are some other funny holiday uh, stories or traditions that people will find in the book, Holiday Hilarity? Well, the reason... And they can get the book at uh, ComedyMattersTV.com. No, they can get the book on Amazon. Oh, Amazon. Yeah, okay. I don't sell books through my website. All these books, my, my, uh, my whole happiness series is available through Amazon. Got it. But... Um, the reason why the British lost the Revolutionary War, because they had a fife and drum corps. How can you go into battle beating <laughs> on drums? How are you going to sneak up on anybody playing <laughs> playing a drum? Right? They had to lose. There was no question that they. And uh, who was the first man to send a Valentine's Day card? The, King Henry VIII. This is a very right? interesting is it, story. Or is it Valentine, the priest, the Roman priest? There was a Roman priest in the third century under Emperor Claudius, Claudius the first. There was a saint named Valentine, and the emperor made a law that no young men could get married anymore, only older men, because once young men got married, they didn't make good soldiers because they were afraid of getting killed. Sure, I can understand that. So he outlawed marriage, but St. Valentine didn't go for it, and he kept marrying people. They put him in prison, and they were going to kill him, which they eventually did. And while he was in prison, the jailer's daughter came to visit him a lot, and he sent her a thank you card, and he signed it from your Valentine. That's wonderful. That's and that's wonderful. the world's first Valentine's Day card. I researched this book a lot. It's not just filled with jokes. It's filled with real facts that's great. about how our most important holidays got started. There were 13 holidays in there. So, I mean, uh, obviously, we have uh, Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving. Do you know what they, eat, what they ate at the very first Thanksgiving dinner? Was it, was it wild boar? Venison. Venison. There was no turkey, no potatoes. In those days, they ate venison, and it was the pilgrims and the Wampanoag Indians. I hope there was at least the artificial cranberry sauce that retained the shape of the can after you you, uh, plop it out there. And the party went on for three days because nobody knows this. The pilgrims were great dancers. Uh, well, with, with given what they're consuming, they have to work off all that venison. I can understand that. Which would have been a great story for my book, Man Rob's Bank with His Chin, 
how the pilgrims were great dancers. Hardly anybody knows that the pilgrims were great dancers. I had no idea. They used to sway first. They, you know, like people did in the 1940s. In the 1940s, when people heard the national anthem, they would just naturally start swaying back and forth, which is a very interesting uh, way to react to music. In terms of uh, the other holidays here, I mean, yeah. what? Are, I mean, I don't even know that I can name 13. Well, I mean, I'm sure Father's Day. Uh, now, right, right, Father's right. Day is interesting because Mother's Day started in 1908, but nobody wanted Father's Day. And I thought that was really interesting. It took them two years to pass a law making Father's Day a national holiday because in those days, men didn't want to be honored. They thought that it was not masculine to have a holiday where they would receive gifts. Plus, they had to pay for the gifts. So men didn't want it. Right. Now I can and understand that. Father's Day didn't uh and, and Father's Day even to this day until, hasn't really taken off the way Mother's Day has. No, absolutely not. You Mothers know. are always valued more. The, uh, than, deservedly than fathers. So. Deservedly and so. as a father you understand. Absolutely. Right? But it didn't start till nineteen ten. Yeah. I, so, well I believe that. So the other holidays, let me see if I could tell you. Do which, you have Flag Day in which there? they were No. No. I did uh, New Year's Eve. New Year's Day, Easter, Passover, Mother's Day, Father's Day, Independence Day, Labor Day, Halloween, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, and Christmas. I see. Okay. Well, so it's, uh, there's one for so every occasion. There's like 13 holidays that I that – no, no, Nothing in there about Ramadan at all. No, no. no I didn't okay. do Ramadan. That will be in the next book. The, the sequel. The next the sequel. Yeah, I have to okay. do a sequel. People, you know – um, but it's holiday hilarity, and I really did a lot of research. Oh, I can imagine. It, it's so interesting to really find out how a lot of these holidays started, you know, and and how they be, they became part of our lore that we do every year. And it's a wonderful thing that people celebrate. Yeah, no, uh, my wife was asking me just recently, why do, you know, why does Easter get so associated with a bunny rabbit and with eggs when bunnies don't lay eggs. So she said, exactly. wouldn't it make more sense to have an Easter chicken as opposed to a bunny rabbit? Now I can just get her this book instead of pretending that I know what I'm talking about while I look it up. Well, I'll tell you why. Easter was named for uh, a pagan goddess, believe it or not, whose name was Eastra, E-A-S-T-R-E. And the symbol, her symbol was a rabbit. Rabbits symbolized fertility. And because... Jesus was reborn, he was resurrected, it has to do with life. And so the early Teutonic tribes would give each other eggs, and eggs symbolized fertility and life. Do you know why Lent is called Lent? I don't, I don't know. And, because, and it's a very strange thing. It's, it's an odd word, Lent, right? right? 40 days of Lent, because it has to do with an old English word that meant lengthen. The days get longer. Oh, it happens in the spring at the vernal equinox and that's when lent starts and it takes you through that's it that makes sense through easter sunday and ash wednesday and uh it's a great book all 40 days i'm gonna get a copy holiday hilarity it's called it's available on amazon by jeffrey gurian right holiday hilarity a humorous history of celebration wonderful so it's all the stories of how the holidays got started with a little humor thrown in. i think that's great if you want to impress people at your next holiday function around the thanksgiving table or the or the passover seder table or even the ramadan table this book is filled with anecdotes that you can share 800-848-WABC we're going to take your calls with jeffrey gurian straight ahead this episode is brought to you by shopify Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it 
a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. WABC. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. is here. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, you can learn more about uh, Jeffrey by going to ComedyMattersTV.com. If you're interested in the holiday hilarity book we've been talking about, you could find that uh, on Amazon, along with all his other books, if you just search his last name, G-U-R-I-A-N. He is one of many, many people who've made the transition from dentistry to comedy. Well, maybe not many. One of the very few people that has made the co- the conversion from dentistry to comedy. He is the only person who has made the conversion <laughs> from dentistry to comedy. Uh, 800-848-9222. Eddie's in Manhattan. Hello there, Eddie. Question about uh, about Gilbert, Gilbert Gottfried. Did Letterman like uh, Gilbert Gottfried? Did Letterman, Letterman like uh, Gilbert Gottfried? Yeah. Uh, you know? uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you know, I, Jeffrey? I don't really have an well, idea. What would make you wonder that? Okay. What I saw, I was Gilbert was on Letterman, and Gilbert had his closed eyes act. And then I heard Letterman say, well, he won't be here anymore. He sort of seemed to, he, on the air, he sort of like uh, pulled the rug out from under him. So that's what I saw. So you don't know anything about that? No, I really never heard that times, story. How many times was was Gilbert on a Letterman? Do you have any? any I, th- I think you'd probably know better yeah, than me. No, I, I, you, you, we, we may have to have you <laughs> on to chronicle you, the uh, yeah. Letterman Gottfried feud. There, thank you, uh, Eddie. Excuse me, Gene is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Gene. Uh, good evening, Frank Morano and Jeffrey Ga- uh, Gorian. I've listened to you both for a while, and thank you. I'm really laughing my head off. You're really funny. I just wanted to mention my brother. Used to be a uh, was a comedian, and he worked the mountains all the time. His name was Mickey Marvin. Does that ring a bell, Mickey Marvin? Mickey Marvin. Yes, I knew him through Dick Capri from the Catskills yeah. on Broadway. Sure, I knew yeah, Mickey he, Marvin. He, he was your brother. Yes, yes, yes. He passed away. His wife came down with Alzheimer's disease, and he couldn't work any longer. And he. He just stopped working, just like that. But he, I thought he was doing very good. He got started with from another comic, Corbett Monica. I don't know if you know, remember that name, Corbett Monica. Corbett Monica, sure, I know that name. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, Corbett, yeah Corbett Monica got him started. So uh, he worked the mountains. He, he did very, very well. He, I mean, he went to uh, a high school in the Bronx, Gompers High School, didn't get a thing out of it, so he decided that he's going to become a salesman. And in the in the garment area, he was selling selling merchandise, you know, material and so forth. Schmata, it was a schmata. All right. All the, right, schma- and the schmata business. Well, in those days, you could make a living working the Catskills. Mm. That was when yeah, the well, Catskills was know. the Jewish Alps, they called it. There was a million hotels there where the comedians could perform. 
Yeah, yeah, he did very well. My name is Eugene, Gene Perlman's my name. His name was Marvin Perlman, but his stage name was Mickey Marvin. Mickey Marvin. Gene, thanks for the uh, stroll down memory lane. Thank you. Yes, sorry about that. 800-848-WABC. Mario is in Manhattan. Hello, Mario. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Am I at liberty to ask the gentleman about his condition? His condition? About about what condition? About, well, he has heart disease. I wanted to inquire. Is he allowed to do that or no? Yeah, yeah. Uh, am I allowed? I had a stent put in, and they I saved me. I mean, yeah. Yeah, I okay. had a stent put in, and uh, and yeah. uh, I've been tested recently, and thank God I'm doing great. Wonderful. All right. Now, did they attribute, if I may ask, your uh, your heart disease condition now from a poor diet, or was that aggravation? Or no, they had no kidding? idea. They had no idea where it came from. I had never been sick a day in my life. What they said was that you start building up plaque from the time yes. you're a child, and anything yes. could cause a piece of plaque to break off. And they have no idea what caused mine. But I was just very lucky. They said I was about 95% blocked. And, uh, Murray, we're going to send Jeffrey's chart over to you. We're going to fax it over now, uh, all of his medical records, over to Mario in Manhattan. Um, We're talking with Jeffrey Gurian. He's uh, author of many books. You know, I wasn't really joking. I think at the pace you're at now, you are writing books at a pace faster than I'm reading them. How many books have you written? Eight books. Eight Eight books. I never thought I'd have even one book. You know, it was so crazy. My first book was based on my writings for the Friars Club, mm. and it was called Filthy, Funny, and Totally Offensive. And it, it was 250 celebrities who told me nasty jokes. And every Gilbert, of course, was in there. But, you know, I had the biggest stars. Even Elaine Stritch gave me a nasty joke. And uh, I wound up with eight books. But my last three books, to me, are the most important. The first five books were all on comedy. But the last three books are on happiness, and that's what people need right now. People need a different way of thinking. You know, I used these thoughts to to cure myself of stuttering, and I'm always grateful that you let me talk about that in the past oh, because absolutely. a lot of stutterers don't know that they can be helped. And I have a a, a website. If you if out if you're if you're listening out there and you know anybody who stutters or has a, a problem with that. You uh, you can go to stopstutteringnowgurian.com, stopstutteringnowgurian.com, and there are testimonials and there's a lot of information on there. And I and now as an avocation, I work with stutterers all over the world to teach them my techniques of thought control because I realized one day I didn't stutter when I was alone. I only stuttered when I was trying to talk to somebody. Hmm. And I stuttered into my 30s even after I graduated from dental school. See, I, I just blocked on the D for the first time ever. Um and uh, and I was able to cure myself. It took me years to do it, but it's about mind. That's wonderful. Because you can't have a disability based on your location. A man with a limp limps in every room of his house. Can't go into a room and close the door and walk perfectly. Right. If you're deaf, it doesn't matter what, where you are. Exactly. You're, st- you're still right. deaf. But if I could speak without stuttering in a room by myself, then theoretically it means there's nothing wrong with me. Mm-hmm. And when I realize that, and I consider it grace, everything's grace. When I can uh, realize that, I 
took my mind apart, and I developed these techniques for changing your thoughts. The, the newest book in the Happiness series is Facing Adversity, Stories of Courage and Inspiration. I have read the book, and there are some very moving stories uh, in, this, uh, in this book. If people are looking for a little inspiration, this is a book you should definitely check out. It's called Facing Adversity. That's available as well on Amazon. Check it, check it out on, on there. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, especially given what's going on in the world now, uh, I can't think of uh, a better message than uh, than f- overcoming uh, overcoming obstacles, obstacles and facing and, adversity. And adversity. People need hope and inspiration. We've been through so much in the last two and a half years. It's been overwhelming for a lot of people. Oh, that's for sure. And you have to fight to stay positive. Before uh, we let you go, you you mentioned attending dental school. They gave you a little bit of a hard time in dental school, didn't they? I was tortured. I was literally, you know. When I was 12 years old, I must have been a weird kid because I decided I wanted to be a dentist. I, I knew I wanted to be a doctor, but I knew I was too sensitive to handle <laughs> life and death. Right. And I'm like, dentistry sounds good. I was wearing braces at the time. I'm like, I'm going to be a dentist. Most 12-year-old kids have no idea what they want to be. They change their mind a million sure. times. And I was already writing comedy. So my whole life was that split. And I expected to be welcomed into dental school. I thought that they would welcome me. Instead, they treated me like it was a four-year fraternity hazing. They, they, why did they have such an issue with you? I'll show you this picture, if you can see this. Can you hold this up so that the camera can see it? Yeah, and if people want to see to the, uh, the, the video of this uh, discussion uh, later, you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan, and I will share the, uh, the video up there later. So I, it, it looks like... Stash, my, do, excuse me. Do you see how short my hair yeah. is there? No, no. I've never. Okay. I don't even know this guy. Right. I was banned from dental school. They told me that my hair was too long by a guy with a Confederate flag in his office and a sign that said "The South will rise again." Wow. And his partner and he he ran the most important department in the school, and I was not allowed to see patients for three weeks. Mm. And so, before we run out of time, many decades later. Before the pandemic, I get an email from the dean of this dental school asking to meet with me in New York to have lunch. And I hated the school so badly. Uh, They told me that I was a disgrace to the profession because I grew a mustache. Mm. Meanwhile, I graduated number 54 out of 126. My parents used to say to me, we'll we'll understand if you want to drop out because they were literally torturing me, humiliating me on a daily basis. The dean writes to me and asks to meet with me. And I agree because I believe in confronting my uncomfortability. That's why I wrote this book, Fight the Fear, Overcoming Obstacles That Stand in Your Way. I thought that they were going to ask me for a donation. But instead, he brought another dean with him. They met me. They took me to a beautiful restaurant. And my idea was I was going to tell him how poorly I was treated in school. And as I started to tell my story, he interrupted me. And he said to me, I want you to know that those men were racist and anti-Semites. And they and you were treated the worst. Other people were also harassed, but you were treated the worst. And he knew my story. He read about me on the Internet. Hmm. And he said to me, you're one of the most accomplished graduates that we ever had. And he said – Not just in comedy, but in dentistry as well. In, yeah. Uh, yeah, in everything. Yeah, I, I, I used to lecture on cosmetic dentistry. And I when I taught at NYU, I was a clinical professor for 12 years and I used to take away headaches with just the energy from my hands. And they let me lecture on that. And so um, 
he said to me that he wanted to send a car for me and bring me to Philadelphia so that I could tell the students there my story of how poorly I was treated because he, he wasn't the dean when I went. He changed the whole environment of the school, and it's a much kinder environment. Then the pandemic hit. So what he did was he hired me to do a series of lectures to the doctors at Temple University on changing a thought. He, uh, he said he wanted me to speak on changing frustration to enjoyable and from hate to love. And he said to me, can you believe that this would ever happen? I said, in a million years, I could never guess that something that was so bad in your life could someday turn out to be something good. He also hired me to do a comedy show for the doctors for la- last Christmas, and they just contacted me again last week. The, now they want to send a car for me because the pandemic is basically over or manageable. They want me to come down and lecture to the students to tell them about my experience, how bad it was. So it just goes to show you that you never know. Mm. If I had turned down that lunch because I hated the school so much, I would have never had this kind of closure. And to hear him say to me, those guys were racist and anti-Semites and they singled you out. And I, 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 you know, I was literally tortured. They took away my self-confidence and self-esteem, wow. which is a terrible thing to do when you're 22 years old, you know, to attack somebody that way. When you learn to give injections, you know, everybody's afraid of getting an injection sure. in, in their mouth. When you learn, you have to learn on real patients. I was in the middle of giving someone an injection. The needle was in their gum. And this mean instructor came by and hit my elbow. Oh, my and said, put it in further, like that. These days, if someone did that, they would be arrested for assault. Oh, no, I, I can understand that. Absolutely. And that's, how, and that's how I was treated for the whole four years when my hair was this short. My, my goodness. Right? And I was banned from clinic for three weeks. They tried to keep me from seeing patients so that I couldn't graduate. And I worked extra hard to make up for the time. So anyway, that's the story. Jeffrey, and it's, in, it's in my book, Fight the Fear. Uh, our time together always seems to fly by. Let's do this again soon. Okay? I hope so, Frank. I love being on with M- you. Same here. Uh, check Jeffrey out, ComedyMattersTV.com. Just search Jeffrey Gurian on Amazon. Uh, Jeffrey's a, an incredible uh, performer, and uh, he's going to do some ups- upcoming comedy shows soon, too, that we'll tell you about. Uh, by the way, Jeffrey, we did send you uh, an Uber on the way here. Uh, I wasn't sure if I should tip the driver or not. How was the driver on the way here? Uh, he, he was great, and he spoke some weird African okay. language that All he right. told me. All right, we'll give him a couple of bucks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, still to come, um, should you get a settlement if your employer gives your birthday away? We'll explore it. Till then, keep asking questions.